They're, they're terrible have... hikes down there. They're just, I wouldn't even bother. No, just kidding. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Okay, well, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Today, my guest is Roddy Shear. Roddy, I was introduced to you because of a book, but I'm on your I'm on your website and and I'm seeing photography, I'm seeing well writing, but music. So I want you to introduce yourself, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I want to hear about the music first before we talk about what you were planning to talk to me about. Okay, great. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been strumming a guitar since I was a little kid. And uh, as a teenager, I got into some bands and recording on little cassette four tracks and stuff. And I basically um continued those adolescent pursuits through my adult life and uh i've been in a series of um as i call them old man bands um (laughs) and uh yeah so um i still have a lot of fun doing it and i still do a ton of home recording okay and now i can um release all my music that i want out onto all the streaming services because it's so easy to do that now so i decided um when I, when I turned 50 that I would let the world hear all the stuff I've been recording in my basement for years. So, um, it's all streaming out there now. That's cool. All right. Well, thank you for playing along when I throw you under the bus Mm -hmm. just to start the episode out, but we are here today because you've uh, just released, well, your publisher just released it, but your book, Oregon and Washington's roadside ecology. And I'm going to tease you about the Oregon part, but And so we got 33 easy walks through the region's amazing natural areas. First off, as I told you before we hit record, I'll say it down, but the record button, this is an impressive looking book. So congratulations on not only uh, a nicely written book, but a a beautifully, the photography is beautiful. So we're going to, we'll delve into that, but what's the backstory? How'd you end up on this project? Yeah. Well, um, the concept is, basically borrowed from uh mountain press is a publisher they had a series that they started releasing in the early 70s called roadside geology and that's a series of books which details geological features and curiosities around the given region covered and um since the 70s they put out those geology guidebooks basically for all 50 states and you know a lot of us keep a copy of the one for our state in our glove compartments of our cars and you're driving around somewhere and (laughs) you can um, check out, you know, your itinerary against what's in the book and see if there's any cool, like, uh, you know, geological features sticking out of a, of a cliff face that you're going to happen to be going by on your trip out to Wenatchee to visit you, Scott, or whatever it may be. So um, the, the, that idea, uh, sort of spawned the idea of a roadside ecology series um, kind of along the same lines where um, you could be driving around a given region like the Northwest in my case um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, look ahead against what's in the book and stop for a little leg stretch along the way, do a short hike or even a roadside pullout 
to visit some cool ecological feature or, or a you know a unique type of a meadow that that happens to be in the part of central washington that you're driving through um and it might not be um it might not be the most famous um hiking location but it's and it's more likely an off the beat off the beaten path area that is um typical of a natural ecological you know relationship between the wild living things in in that place um and um it can kind of introduce you to the ecology of that region while you're there and then you can you know get back in the car put the book back in the glove compartment and roll on you know okay. to your destination or whatever um so it's a great way to kind of uh you know if you if you did all the hikes in the book there's there's uh 18 in my home state of washington and 13 15 in oregon um but if you you know did all the hikes in the book you'd be driving all around the northwest basically um seeing a lot of really incredible beautiful areas you know for the most part away from the city um so anyway um the idea for the book came about when uh timber press which is a portland oregon-based publisher that's you know got a deep catalog in what i'd call natural history among other things um was consulting with one of their long-standing authors this uh guy named tom wessels who's a terrestrial ecologist uh, and uh, Professor Emeritus at Antioch University in New England, he he was consulting with them on, on a new book that he could write for them. And he suggested the roadside ecology concept, basically, and, and said that he would write the first one for New England, which he did. And they put that out in September 2021. In the meantime, um, they contacted me and um, asked if I was interested in doing the, you know, Northwest version of the book. And uh, it was a, a job I didn't have to think twice about accepting. So, uh, you know, I, I realized right away after talking to um, Stacy, the acquisitions editor there, that um, I'd be able to combine, you know, the sort of two aspects of my career that I love, which is the desk work side, like research and writing, and uh, the field work side, you know, hiking, kayaking, swimming, photography, that kind of thing, out into the wild. So, um, <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I... I started putting together a, a site list and uh, ran it by them and then went out and, and got busy researching and writing. How long did it take you to put together the site list? Um, well, I'd say probably about two weeks of, you know, internet research, basically. Um, I have been writing about this region and Washington and greater Seattle for about 20 years as a travel writer for Seattle magazine and Northwest travel and um, some other places. So I, I have a pretty, and I've also been a you know professional photographer during that whole time too. So I have a pretty good idea of what's out there in Washington state and I've explored it pretty mm -hmm. extensively in the past. Um, so I, was at an advantage in that regard in terms of knowing generally like that I needed to have a, uh, you know, a temporary rainforest hike on the Olympic Peninsula um, in the book. And that it, and the idea behind all the hikes in the book is that they're short, like two miles or less total, okay. you know, round trip. Um, and that anyone can do them in general. And they're not all handicap accessible, but some of them are. 
But in general, you know, they're easy and short and um, you can bring your kids and you can bring grandma or whatever. Um, it should be no problem in general. Um, so those were the limiting factors on selecting the sites. You know, they had to be short and easy to access near the road. Um, and it kind of illustrative of, uh, you know, different ecological relationships from each other as each place is unique and the web of life there is different accordingly as well. So in general, you know, I was trying to kind of point out the differences to the casual visitor between these different places and what may, makes them tick in terms of the ecology and the relationship between the organisms there. Okay. I always want to ask like the impossible questions, which is like, what was your favorite hike? That's like saying, you know, mm -hmm, what's your mm -hmm. favorite kid? But yeah, I put you on the spot. Well, I'll put you on the spot about Oregon because yep. you know, we're Washington. Yeah. They're, they're terrible hikes down there. They're just, I wouldn't even bother. No, just kidding. <laughs> the checks I love in the, ma the checks yeah. in the mail. But I do live in Washington, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I love that. Mm -hmm. I to be, to be completely transparent, I did not look at any of the Oregon content. Not because I didn't want to, because I honestly yeah. ran out of time. Of the, of the hikes that you, 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 you documented in, in Oregon, in your opinion, Share with us one that you think is maybe, I don't want to say off the beaten path, but maybe wouldn't pop to somebody's, you know, forefront yeah. like instantly. So like, right. and, and why, yeah, why would you pick this? Yeah. Well, I, I definitely have one in mind, but just in general, um, regarding Oregon, um, <laughs> I, I, I do, I have done a lot of um, regional travel writing and, much more of it has been in Washington where I'm from. I live in Seattle. Um, and so Oregon to me still does seem a bit exotic, you know, in okay. terms of, yeah. you know, I don't know it like the back of my hand, but, um, and therefore it's wonderful because I can drive a few hours and see amazing things that I haven't been by a million times, you know? Right. So um, in that regard, I do think it's, it's, it's an amazing place. Um, and, um, one place that really blew my mind was the John Day fossil beds. Um, okay. It's basically Northeast Oregon. And if you're driving down to Bend or, you know, even Eugene, you could kind of go the long way uh, for you where you are, I guess, in central Washington. I was going to say be a little Eugene easier, but, to Northeast yeah. Oregon. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. But, you know, I'm saying, you know, you could um, loop around that way and, okay. um, and uh or just make it a trip on, on its own it's 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 remote and wild there aren't really many hotels or whatever um you're probably better off camping but i mean you know there are places to stay mm -hmm. um but anyway there there are these kind of um uh, psychedelic colors on the hillsides because of various um you know erosion and geological features going on there so um, that's one place that that really gets you out of the, uh, you know, definitely out of the Western Washington comfort zone of um, <laughs> Douglas firs and dripping wet, you know, pine needles and stuff. So, okay, um, yeah. And I mean, then, you know, there's obviously lots of other cool areas. I had never really been around in and around Bend before. Oh, so okay. I love the uh, the lava lava lands you know, hikes and stuff like that were 
as I say, you know, also just, just much different from anything I've encountered in Washington. So. And I, I totally give Oregon a hard time as a, mm-hmm. as a joke because it's a, it's beautiful as well. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if I was doing the exploring Oregon podcast, I'd giving, I'd be giving Washington a hard time. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's all good natured mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. And Bend is great. I, I Bend is a beautiful area and Eugene is, I've had fun in Eugene. Mm-hmm. I always ask this question. And so I'm going to do this up, this interview a little differently because I, I'm probably, we're probably going to bounce back and forth between Washington and Oregon. But one of the questions I always ask my guests is, you know, do you, are you a coffee drinker? Yes. Okay. So right in Oregon, I've never mm-hmm. asked this question before. Where's a great cup of coffee you've had in Oregon? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know about that one really. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, you can, I'm not not, you can make this up and no one will fact yeah. check it. You know, yeah. Come on. yeah, right. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not a super coffee connoisseur, so no, you don't have um, to be. It's just, yeah, I, yeah. I'll drink diner coffee, I drink gas station yeah. coffee, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me think. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you where you can't get it, and that is in southeastern Oregon. I mean, that is one place if you look on my map of the book um the title there's maps at the beginning of each section and uh-huh. there are sites you know all over the states all over the two states but there's no sites in southeastern Oregon because i I'm drove around that. in there mm-hmm. and uh there was definitely no um five dollar coffees anywhere <laughs> in that part of the country so I'm going to rephrase uh, my question from now. Yes. Where's the best place to get a $5 cup of coffee? I, yeah. I yeah. Okay. All right. So, so when you, when you, I, I'm just kind of fascinated by the whole book process. Mm-hmm. Did you do this? Did you like go down to Oregon and do all the Oregon part or did you go to, you know, or did you mix and match or how, how did you go yeah. about this? Um, yeah, I, I, this is a strange kind of assignment or or travel trip um doing this kind of a book because i live in seattle with a wife and kids and um i have regular responsibilities you know here uh work and otherwise at home so um so my time to get away from those responsibilities is is limited so to do a book like this, you really have to hit the road. I have a VW, you know, camper van, so I'm all set there. But I, a, a you, know, you have to, uh, yeah, a Euro van with a with a pop top. With a yeah. Euro, okay, so, all right. Yeah, I was gonna say so, you were um, a brave man if you took it like with with the old van again, or dare dare yeah, I say a, a, yeah. the bread loaf. Okay, right, right. No, not that. Um, so anyway, I um, kind of picked the sites, and then I spent about. I guess really mostly two weeks driving around Oregon, basically um, covering the whole state, doing all the, you know, 15 hikes covered in the book. They're all short hikes, but you know, they're the, the, so they don't necessarily take a long time to hike them each on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm taking a lot of pictures along each hike and, and each picture requires being on a tripod and all this stuff. So, it takes me a lot longer to hike two miles than the average, the average bear. You'd still and probably the, be uh, faster than me. Even with taking mm-hmm, your photos, yeah. I'd still probably pull up behind and go, I'm done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, you know, and then getting between the hikes, you know, I, I'd have to drive, you know, two hours between each or whatever. And, 
And so I had a limited amount of time that I could be away. And um, so I had to plan this all very carefully. And I had, you know, on June 18th or whatever it might be, I, I'd have to hit, you know, three different trails and they're each two hours apart or whatever. And um, then I'd have to take notes and pictures and stuff. So, um, and if I slipped behind or I had a long lunch or I didn't wake up early enough or something like that, I would be behind and then I wouldn't, you know, have time by the trip, you know, and then I'd be in a different region the next day. So I had to kind of keep to the schedule. And so it was, it was an odd combination of doing kind of a dream trip where, you know, I was basically getting paid to drive all over the beautiful areas of Oregon and Washington and being, you know, on the clock on deadline, you know, with, um, with a uh, limited limited time so anyway i took about two weeks total i think in oregon and i did all the research and pictures then and then likewise i did about probably another two weeks at a different time frame of a month later or so in washington actually washington i did three different week-long trips or, or even shorter instead okay. because i live here so i would do like the olympic peninsula or whatever and so um washington was a little more i could i could do it piecemeal but anyway, that's that's how it came to be. And then I did all the research and had all these notes and pictures. And then they sat around, you know, in my files for for months. And then it came down time to to write. And it was like full on pandemic time, which was actually great for doing a project like this. And um, then I just spent months and months, you know, filling in all the blanks and the details. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's a long answer to a short question, I guess. So yeah, so from the day that you got the green light to do the project to the day that it was published, about how long was that period of time? I think about two years. Okay. Yeah. So about yeah. two years from yeah, from yeah. Con- green light to to on the on the shelves, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm actually, now this is out, I'm working on another book uh, in the series Roadside Ecology on Yellowstone National Park, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Okay. Yeah. So in the Washington, did you did you take your kids with you at all? Do they, do they go with, do they? Uh, no, in general, you know, as I said, I'm so kind of on a schedule that... Well, on the one hand, and, um, you know, it's also my time to be away from the family, in my opinion, you know, my daddy's off at work. They know, they know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, I do relish those chances to get away. I mean, I've done a lot of traveling around the region with my, you know, wife and kids and, uh, like every summer we go out to Ross Lake and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so they, uh, they've been with me many, many times, but, um, you know, in this kind of situation, it's, it's a lot. And also no one really likes hiking with a photographer that much because, you know, you'll stop and, and linger over some wildflower, you know, with your tripod for 20 minutes and then race on to the next par, you know, 90 miles an hour and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So I, let, I I view this as Robbie time, you know. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I think you were warned that these conversations don't have a linear path. They're kind of meander around. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. touch on the photography for a second. What? Oh, what and also, you... also, yeah. 
um, and this relates to the photography as well, but uh, as a my landscape painter friend of mine often said, you know, he, he didn't really want people around to watch the sausage being made. So mm, I apply enough. that to my own stuff as well. But anyway, go fair ahead. Enough. What sort of gear are you using these days? Um, I mean, Nikon, um, okay. Nikon digital, digital, you know, DSLRs um, mm-hmm. and lenses. Um, I do a lot of more casual photography in my life with my iPhone and I love taking pictures with my iPhone. Um, okay. And I uh, do a lot of panoramic photos with the iPhone and close-ups as well. Um, okay. Which are, you know, which the iPhone is uniquely suited to do really easily on both counts. Um, but for this book and any, you know, published book, um, the quality of those photos is not nearly good enough. And uh, so I, you know, had to go back to my old school camera gear, you know, Nikon stuff mm-hmm. and tripods and all that. Um, so yeah, um, that's pretty much what I did for the book, even what, though it was kind of a rude awakening. What model Nikon are you, were you using? I think most of this was on the uh, D7200, I believe. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because so, I have a D750. And oh yeah, and that's can, is that the full frame. Can, yeah. yeah, it's full frame, and you can yeah. like get muscular by carrying the thing around. That's kind of where yeah. I was going. It's like, yeah, um, yeah. So I never. Uh, I, this is the um, the uh, smaller sensor right. than yeah, what the, you have. The, so yeah, it's a great. That's a great camera body too. But I was yeah. wondering, is like I had this vision of you schlepping around, you know, mm-hmm. multiple camera bodies, and yeah. I, uh, well, I do. I do have a few bodies, and I also have been doing a lot of shooting with uh, Sony, uh, Sony A sixty three hundred, and okay. um, I do. I've been getting into that a little bit, and I use that a lot for time lapses, oh, which really? is also a fun thing that I love doing. Which has you know no application in a book like this, but it's, but it's a fun it's thing to do photographically. Yeah. So you're using the sixty three hundred for time lapses. Yeah, I mean, those things have, you know, they're basically little computers with, um, you know, sensors on them. And uh, yeah. they just do all the, uh, the intervalometer is built in and really easy to set at whatever settings you want and just pop the thing on a tripod. And it's amazing you can use, I can use uh, my Nikon glass on it because it has an adapter. So, um, you know, I can do a time lapse with a Nikon fisheye lens or whatever on the Sony body. It's fun stuff. Oh, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't know this was going to be camera one-on-one for Scott. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. So using an, a, a Sony A6300 mm-hmm. with Nikon glass, what are you using? What's the adapter that you're using? I forget what it's called, um, but it's, a, you know, a simple, just a little like a, like sort of one of those uh, step-up ring type things. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's specifically mm-hmm. made for that and it was not expensive and, so it's a great, you know, and the Sony's have adapters for whatever, if you have Canon or whatever, right. you can get one. Um, so it's great because I can, you know, I have like a pretty extreme selection of lenses so I can use them on that. Isn't it fun when you're, when you talk to photographers, you know, you, you know, I, I could, so why haven't you switched to Canon or vice versa? And mm-hmm. It's always, always it's well, because see this, 
bag of lenses here that mm-hmm, they can't exactly. afford to replace. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. A buddy of mine, in fact, he's the guy that'll be editing this podcast. He's got a pretty extensive Canon, you know, collection. And I went with Nikon and uh, we're still friends, but it's, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm the reason I ask about the, the, the so much, the Sony is that I'm this podcast, the video that I'm using is an a 6,300. Oh, is it okay? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. Okay. I just use it as a, I mean, it's a great little, to me, it's a point and shoot. It's I'm not yeah. a photographer. I have no real skills. I just think the gear is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I am going yeah, to, the only downside of that camera is they get dusty. The a sixty three hundred, like if you change lenses, it's just mm-hmm. dust city in there and you got to clean yeah. it out all the time. But anyway, yeah, this was, this is was not part yeah. of the podcast script, but no, mm-hmm, yeah. there's a script, but I'm going to ask you mm-hmm. to give me your best iPhone photo tip. Um, yeah, I mean, I love using the just close up functionality of it. Um, of any, the I just recently got an iPhone 13, but I've been I've been on a SE 2020 for the last two years or something. And okay. it, with any of them, you can go into like I love going right up into a flower. It's a great thing to do this time of year, mm-hmm. and um, just zooming right in from maybe um, you know this far away, you know, okay. close, pretty close. So and then zooming in a foot, just since this yeah. is, this is right. an audio program, approximately, yeah. approximately right. a foot. <laughs> yep. And then uh, zoom in right into the center of the flower. And um, you can just get a lot of abstract looking really colorful, you know, sort of frame filling uh, spring flower images that way. And I do okay. a lot of that on my Instagram account. So it's pretty much okay. all just flower, flower close-ups and other, semi-abstract looking natural things okay and we're so that's come yeah back one to, of my favorite things yeah we'll come back to that because we we kind of jumped right into things other than your backstory which we're gonna probably well like i told you we're moving this around mm-hmm. so the book okay so let's talk about washington then uh in the washington section which like give me an example yeah. of something you were surprised by all right well um I mean, I can just run through a little bit Please. what I covered. Um, you know, as I said, the hikes generally throughout the book tend to be a little more obscure and off the beaten path than the average hike hiking trail. Um, and they're short, so that it's not like these are, aren't these the epic hikes of Washington State, you know, that everyone needs to do with their backpacks or anything. Um, so like, you know, I, I visited sites on tribal lands, like the, um, traditional knowledge trail on the Snoqualmie Indians land. Um, and on that hike, there are some little information placards throughout the hike. It's, you know, I don't know, a half mile long or so, um, talking about the different plants along the way that you're encountering that are, you know, been there for thousands of years, the plants. And how the and then the the tribal names for them as well as the English names, okay. and um, so in that write up, I detailed I put in a lot of details about how the Salish Indians and you know ha- had used those plants that you encounter along the way in the hike, okay. um, and uh, so you know there's uh, hikes in national wildlife refuges like um billy frank nisqually national wildlife refuge which is near olympia 
Um, there's a wheelchair accessible boardwalk there. Um, and you can just, anyone can, can go and glimpse all kinds of waterfowl and raptors, you know, busy making a living out on the marshes. Um, and, uh, let's see, um, what else? Uh, there's, uh, even something within an easy car, bike, or bus ride from, for Seattleites, you know, or anyone visiting Seattle. Um, in the created naturalistic wetlands of Magnuson Park, which is on the north side of the city here. Yeah. Um, about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, the city put a lot of money into restoring what had been basically like a, like a naval air station into, uh, into a sort of a, a riparian wetland zone like it may have been prehistorically. Um, and, um, they did a really amazing job. And so you can hike through there now and there's, there's this network of trails through there and it's this incredible wetlands where there's, you know, all kinds of, uh, all kinds of wildlife, um, you know, birds and ducks and, um, there's, uh, let's see, Pacific chorus frogs are are all like chirping through the, Mm. through the, the trees and stuff. So it's, it's pretty amazing spot. Um, so let's see what else, what else? Um, a few of the hikes are in, along well-known trails in national parks, and I included them to showcase particular ecological features there and as a jumping off point for other, you know, exploring in those areas. Like for instance, um, one of the hikes in the book is Nisqually Vista Trail um, in Mount, at Mount Rainier, which is right near Paradise. You can basically mm-hmm. like access it from the Paradise parking lot. It's a short trail. It's paved, but it goes through this beautiful subalpine fir forest and leads to an overlook of the Nisqually Glacier, which is a you know big, huge, shrieking glacier on the south-facing flank of Mount Rainier. Um, so I think it's like a, about a half mile each way. Anyone can do it and it gets you out into the forest, you know, among the trees and berries and wildflowers and wildlife, which are, you know, I go into a lot of detail about all those things in the chapter. Um, so um, like, for instance, um, in that chapter, um, I go into a lot of detail about the um, s- s- the dominant tree species there are subalpine firs, and they, you know, and I talk about what makes them tick biologically, reproductively, evolutionarily, et cetera. And then, you know, in between those trees, there's uh, cascade asters, Indian paintbrush, um, Roosevelt elk wandering around, you know, deer, um, all kind of commingling in this really biodiverse kind of you know, preserve setting that, that is really kind of other, otherworldly. Um, but then, you know, so I, I describe all those details and it might be a little more than you want to know, or, you know, it might be, uh, you know, but either way, it's sort of educational. And I, I sort of envisioned myself trying to be descriptive, like Thoreau in Walden. I don't know if you ever read that, but, um, a you long know, time I read ago. that yes. back in school and I was really pretty bored stiff by it. Although I do love Thoreau and I love Walden and I, you know, it's been very inspirational to me over the years. But um, so I was trying to combine that kind of attention to detail um, and um, celebration of 
the ecology with a little more sort of punch and spice, basically, to make it interesting to read. So that was sort of the goal. Um, and then I'm also trying to, besides going to the ecological details, I'm also trying to tie it in the big picture when and where I can throughout the chapters, like vis-a-vis -vis climate change and biodiversity and habitat loss. So like in the Nisqually Vista chapter, for instance, um, several paragraphs are devoted to the issue of climate change and the effects of it um, that you can actually witness along the trail. Like for an obvious example would be the shrinking glacier um, as the focal point of the hike um, and how, you know, due to climate change since, you know, 1860 or so, that glaciers retreated one and a half miles. And, you know, that's important because it nourishes the downstream valleys with a slow trickle of melt off every summer. And the plants and animals down below are dependent on that and have, have evolved along with that kind of a setting. So right. if that goes away and those could be gone by, you know, 2030, 2040, 2050, we'll see. Um, it's going to affect everything down below. So, um, you know, and also, I also drill down a little deeper and discuss how the warmer temperatures for climate change are causing the, the subalpine firs there to expand into neighboring wildflower meadows. Um, and those meadows have nowhere to go because, you know, as temperatures get warmer and the trees rise up the mountain, the meadows can't rise up any further. I mean, as you go higher up a conical mountain, there's less land as right. you go higher and up so you know the meadows are going to be gone you know eventually potentially theoretically thanks to global warming as the as the trees rise up and and get further you know higher higher elevation wise um so you know in theory in the future there might not be amazing wildflower meadows all around the flanks of mount rainier like we're all used to going and seeing in the summertime so you know um I, I try to tie in the big picture and kind of the little picture about each of these spots. And that's kind of the goal of the book and to, to teach people something about, uh, you know, how these things are all interrelated and, and why we should appreciate them and visit them. And I think we, you know, should all, you know, slow down just a little bit and pay, pay a little bit more attention to our surroundings and be a little more present not to, I'll step off my soapbox, but you know, that's kind of just, cause we all tend to, you know, rush through life and not, at least I do. Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can only, I can only speak for myself and blame myself for that. But so you drove around the two States, you, you, you took in all these shorter hikes that would be something that's openly accessible for most everybody. Um, any big takeaways that you came away from? with this project? Hmm. Um, well, really that, uh, nature really is pretty much outside all of our doorsteps and that, um, you know, it's really, you really only have yourself to blame if you're not getting outside and breathing in some fresh air and, um appreciating your natural surroundings you know um because it's so easy to do and um it's amazing out there you know and all of us are so locked into our screens and our you know phones mm -hmm. and i'm as guilty as the next guy but um but you know i am never 
as happy as when I'm out, you know, hiking alongside some meadow and I see a bald eagle fly by in the distance and, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I just feel like that's the way we're meant to be. And, and, um, you know, we should all do our best to get out there. And, and I hope my book can inspire people to do that. You know, just leave it in the car. And if you're going somewhere, check out the map and maybe there's one of the hikes along the way and, you know, get out and enjoy it. So let's table the book for a little bit because mm-hmm. we didn't really get your backstory. Mm-hmm. So how do we get here? <laughs> what? So did you grow up in Washington? No, I'm from Boston. Okay. On the East coast. And I spent my summers up in Maine mostly. Um, and, um, when I was in high school, I kind of discovered nature in the outdoors and started doing some hikes and stuff. And then in the, um, summer of must've been 1989, I, drove across country with a, with a buddy and we endeavored to hike the Oregon section of the Pacific Crest Trail. Okay. And, uh, we were, I, I guess we were 18 or 19 and, uh, completely inexperienced to the ways of backpacking <laughs> so okay. much so that we actually, um, had a meeting with one of our high school teachers, um, to inform us about, how to buy a backpack, what to pack, all this stuff. So we knew nothing about it. We were total newbies. And um, we just, uh, but we researched it all and we even shipped food ahead. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that, but you know, if you do this long trek, you would ship like freeze dried foods ahead to little um, trail side outposts, post offices along the way. So that, you know, if you're doing four weeks in Oregon, you would, um, you know, have a, a mail stop along the way once a week and pick up more supplies. So, um, so we had all that planned out and then we um, got out to the West coast and we got down to Ashland and um, took a taxi to the trailhead with our backpacks, which still cracks me up. There were such, you know, <laughs> badass mountain men. We oh, like hailed the cab and got up to the trailhead and um, this, this guy, <laughs> pulls up in a pickup truck and sees us getting out with our brand new backpacks and he pulls up with the pickup truck and as we're hiking into the trail and rolls his window down like only an inch and, and says like, you better watch out for bears back there. And then he's, you know, races off and we're sort of like, you know, scared. <laughs> um, so we get in there and, you know, everything's fine the first night. And then we are hiking the second day of this month long trek and my friend sprains his ankle and we basically like hobble back to Ashland and got a motel room and went to the Shakespeare Festival there for a couple nights and he nursed his ankle and then we decided to skip the hiking trip, drove along, picked up our food caches at the backcountry post offices with our car and um, went along the way on our cross-country drive. But anyway, so that that's when I first came out to the to the Northwest and really saw it and did, did kind of fall in love with it out there then and resolved that I would get back here and actually do some hiking. So, um, that was the beginning of it all. And then, um, eventually about 10 years later, I ended up moving out here with, um, to Seattle with, um, my wife. So, yeah. Okay. 
when did you realize, decide that you were going to be an author? When, hmm. as a career um, path, if you will. Well, um, I still haven't quite decided that, but oh, you know, okay. now that I'm about five buck, five books in, um, I guess I am. Um, but really, I was kind of always on track to do environmental journalism. It was kind of my okay. one of my passions, and I did that during school, and I um, majored in stuff like that. And um, so I. I got my first job out of college um, running a newsletter for an environmental nonprofit. And um, so along the way, I started taking some travel writing assignments and um, that eventually, as I said before, you know, the fact that I can write and take pictures mm -hmm. makes me, you know, the quote unquote double threat so that uh, publishers or magazine editors know that they can get someone who they don't have to send two people out on the story. I can do both sides of it. Um, and so that's been um, good for me in terms of getting interesting magazine assignments. Um, and also, um, you know, it's, it goes well with books too. So I did this, uh, my first um, sort of travel oriented book was a uh, waterfall hikes of Washington, which is a guidebook from Falcon guides. And um, so that was, um, you know, that's more of a traditional guidebook and it was really fun to work on and it's out there now and people like it. So, um, you know, that, so I, but doing that and I've done a couple other books for Falcon um, in the meantime, but, you know, doing that really kind of wet my appetite for going deeper into the subject matter in terms of the research and writing. And um, so, that's why this current book is really kind of a dream come true. But also in terms of writing, um, my kind of bread and butter day job is that I produce a, a weekly environmental Q&A column called Earth Talk. Oh. And um, that is a syndicated kind of Dear Abby for the environment kind of a situation. And um, I write it or and or edit it. And I have a, a network of writers that work for me doing that. Um, so that is kind of... Uh, I I do a lot of writing in that regard, you know, huh? between the books, so to speak. Where did you go to college at? Harvard. You went to Harvard? Yes. I would have thought you were a Yale man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How <laughs> dare good. you? How dare you? If, had you said anywhere else, I would have made <laughs> that, fun. That is a great, that's a great, that's a good one. I'm going to remember that. So mm -hmm. what what did you major in? I was, uh, I majored in government and I, I minored in environmental studies, which okay. is, uh, was kind of a nascent department at that point. And I was actually on a faculty student committee to create the environmental studies major, which they subsequently, you know, enacted. Just out of curiosity, this is totally not, you know, why Harvard? Why, what, what made you pick? Okay. I'm a West coast guy my entire yeah, life. So, yeah. you know, Harvard, I have this preconceived notion of Harvard. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's good or bad. I just have this preconceived yeah. notion of Harvard. So why Harvard? Well, I grew up about three miles from Harvard. So okay. it was a okay. pretty easy commute for one thing. 
Oh, but, um, you know, I mean, oh. I, it, it, that is to say I was very familiar with it. Um, mm-hmm. I used to go hang around in Harvard Square, you know, on the weekends occasionally anyway. Okay. Um, I back to the music thing. I, I, I even busked on the streets of Harvard Square a couple of times back in the day. Nice. Um, okay. But um, so it, I had familiar, familiarity going for it for me. Okay. Um, but really, I mean, uh, I wouldn't have done anything differently if I had the choice. I mean, it all worked out great for me. And I met my wife there and I had a great experience. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, if you can get in, you know, it's hard. It's hard to turn it down. So, sure. No, you know, I'd okay. say that's that's the real reason I probably chose okay. it at the time. But okay. on the other hand, I do think it's great to use college as an experience to get out of your comfort zone and go somewhere beyond three miles from your own house where you grew up. So, you know, I don't really <laughs> recommend that to others. But, um, you know, someone coming from Seattle, I mean, to go to the East Coast, that's that's a whole other world. So that would be it's a good way to All go. Right, so th- this has nothing to do with anything other than you grew up in in the Boston area. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you four names. You might not have anything to do with any of the four names, but I'm going to make you pick one. All right. And if you, if you were forced and you had to say you were a fan, would it be the Patriots, the Bruins, the Celtics or the Red Sox? Oh, Say the Red Sox number one. Okay. Why? But um, well, I grew up going to games. I oh, you did was um, you know lived oh. about. I could literally hear the announcer at Fenway Park from my backyard. You know, next up, Carl Yastrzemski, number. You know. Oh, so what a charm um, childhood. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that, just like I'm so jealous. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was great. So um, you know, that's in my blood and. Um, my parents to this day watch every single Red Sox game on their TV and, uh, they can't subscribe to a cable network that doesn't get the new England sports network. (laughs) And, uh, so, you know, that's, that's me, but I also love the Bruins. I'm a hockey, you know, hack hockey player. So, um, Oh, you are. I love that too. Yeah. Okay. I'm just glad you didn't say the Patriots. I'm just, Mm, just really glad you didn't say the Patriots. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox are, everyone gets a pass on the Red Sox. Even if, yeah. even if I was a Yankees fan, I'd mm-hmm. give you a pass for the Sox. Okay. Well, I do like to annoy my Patriots loving friends by telling them that the greatest quarterback of all time is a Patriot, Steve Grogan, who was the Patriots quarterback when I was a little I, kid. So. Uh, and you're a mean man. Yes. <laughs> I like this. I like uh-huh. this a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about Mr. Brady. Mm-hmm. I'd probably loved him if he would, been playing for my team but right he he didn't he won't so yeah don't yeah (laughs) so after after go ahead go go ahead yeah i was gonna say you're a seahawks fan or oh yeah 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 well maybe we'll get him maybe we'll get brady you know we need somebody probably play till he's 55 i mean i gotta gotta admire him from his Mm -hmm. longevity standpoint Mm -hmm. don't like him because he's not on my team. If he was on my yeah. team, I'd probably learn to appreciate it. Okay. Enough mm-hmm. of that. After college, what was next in your world? Um, I went I mean, to the New York city. Yeah. I went to New oh. York city and I worked for an environmental nonprofit and, okay. um, had a lot of fun being in New York in my twenties. Um, and, uh, then, 
I was doing that. I, I, in the process of doing this environmental nonprofit newsletter, um, that group got an offer to put this print newsletter online on this new thing called the World Wide Web. This is in the <laughs> mid nineties, like 96. Okay. So I put the newsletter online. I taught myself, you know, HTML and oh. did this. And, and it was one of the first environmental websites on the World Wide Web. And then I got a bunch of calls from all these other small nonprofit environmental groups that I had been networking with as part of my job, asking if I could do websites for them. So I went off and I just became a webmaster to the, uh, to the nonprofit world of New York, more or less, for okay. several years there. And then in, um, in the midst of that, my wife got an offer to come out to work at Amazon.com. And so for me, it was my ticket to um, keep doing what I was doing, but move it to the West Coast and mm -hmm. where I had always wanted to, to check out. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we moved out here in 99 and, uh, the rest is history. Okay. All right. Well, that's, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, no one's ever heard of Amazon. So yeah, it was probably, yeah. Well, in 99, in all fairness, they weren't, they weren't what they are. Yeah. It was, you know, early, early ish. So, mm -hmm. um, she had fun seeing, seeing that place in its, in its day. So, yeah. Okay. But yeah, but then, um, you know, so I, I got out here and I started working for, uh, um, well, I, I ended up doing a lot of writing for Seattle Magazine and other publications. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, one thing led to another. And then I started doing okay. books. But I did get sent on some great trips around Washington. Um, do you know, uh, like, Duke's Chowder House? Duke's? I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I did a couple of articles on Duke and I followed him around different places around the country where he was working on sustainable sourcing of seafood and other right. stuff. And so we went up um, fishing um, on the Copper River Delta with commercial fishermen, you know, for, for Copper River salmon and um, went to um, on a bourbon tasting trip down oh, to Kentucky. So That's Duke could get his, uh, you know, his special um, mix of bourbon for his restaurants and stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it was a tough gig. Okay, so let's flip that around, though. Mm -hmm. No disparaging about any of your employers. I don't mean that it's this way, but what was the worst assignment you got put on? It might have been mm -hmm. great, but it turned out just to be, did any of them, like, you're like, mm -hmm. you come back going, I can't believe I had, you know, mm -hmm. what, what, what yeah. went wrong? Um... Hmm. Let's see. I don't know. I just, some of those Olympic Peninsula rainouts, you know, that's okay. when you just, yeah. when you're just getting drenched and you, you just don't want to go out and do anything, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, this when you're just kind of Washington out, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's really the most thing I can think of, you know? Okay. Oh, that's, um, that's completely legit. I mean, yeah. But you know, I also love the rain, and I love, I love being out in it and stuff. So, but um, right. you know, anyway. And this last the last year, I don't know how it's been where you are, but probably not as dreary. But it's getting dreary here. <laughs> you know, cold. see, that's why we left. Is I felt yeah, like right. it was ten months of gray, and I know that's yeah. not fair. But yeah. I got yeah. I was living in the Puyallup area, uh -huh. working in the Olympia area. Yeah, 
and it was 28 miles from door to door, 45 minutes to four hours at the worst Mm -hmm. in traffic. And I'm like, I I don't, this isn't rewarding anymore in that sense. Yeah. And um, so I wanted to spend more time with my, with my father and my mom. And uh, I never thought I could get them. They they were both um, born in, born and raised in Tacoma. Right. I mean, I could never imagine getting him to leave. And, uh, one day I, I said, Hey, how do you, how do you feel about, I'm shortening the story, but basically my parents' component is like, Hey, how would you like to move to Wenatchee? And they're like, why? And I said, well, because you know, we, we're thinking about doing it and I don't want to leave you guys behind. I'm the only child, blah, blah, blah. And they go, mm-hmm. well, we'll come over and take a look. And they said, yes, which I, mm-hmm. if I was a betting man would never, I mean, I'd bet on the Mariners to win the world series before I take that bet, you know, mm-hmm. my parents. <laughs> and, uh, we moved over here and I was able to spend, um, the last few months of my dad's life spending time with him, which was amazing. I wouldn't have probably been able to do that in the Tacoma area. Mm-hmm. And have you seen the shining? You've seen the Shining. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I felt I was Jack Nicholson this, this winter here. Mm-hmm. Um, we got three feet of snow in a day here. Mm-hmm. And I never lived anywhere with that much snow. And so I was at home and I like yeah. being at home, Yeah, but I was, it was bad, but it was still blue sky mm-hmm. over the West side, that gray, it just, it, it is tough for me. And I don't mean to be disparaging about the mm-hmm. Western Washington, but the gray. So I have a couple of questions because you're multifaceted. So we're going to come back to coffee, coffee in Seattle. Yep. I guess I should ask you Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, but that's uh, like that's a good question that for question. me, given that I'm a I'm a masshole at heart. You know, do do those is my my bread and butter. But but so where do I go in Seattle? Or is that yeah where, is that, yeah yeah? Um, where's a good place Herkimer, for coffee? Herkimer, that's my choice. Okay, have you okay. heard of that or been to? One I have. Of them? I've heard of it. Yeah. I have not had it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, okay. they do their own roasting, and they. Uh, uh, you know, they, they, uh, it's a, it's a cool company and there's uh yep. one right near, right near my house in the U district. So, okay. And I always bring so, that with me when I'm visiting friends and family in the East coast, I bring a couple of packets of Herkimer for them so they can okay. get that true Seattle vibe in their coffee. And do they like it? They do like it. Yeah. Okay. So since you, you, you're doing music on your website and all that, I'll ask you the question. I typically ask musicians. And you might not be able to answer. I don't know. Where do you like to see music performed in the Seattle area? Uh, well, there's no question. I have a fa- favorite. There's several great venues, as I'm sure you know, but um, the Sea Monster Lounge in Wallingford, that is the be all and end all for me. I've never uh, been there. Yeah. It's uh, one of my happy places on the planet. And okay. uh, it's this little hole in the wall in Wallingford on, you know, off 45th Street. And yeah. um, they have live music, I think, six nights a week now. Um, and uh, mm. some of the best musicians in town are dropping in and sitting in. And it's a great place to yeah. go. You're, and then I, I love the there? Tractor. Uh, I, have, I have played there, yeah. You have, okay. Um, the Tractor Tavern I love. Um, I love the Tractor. Yeah. Who have you seen at the Tractor? Um, let's see. I mean been there a few times like the mother hips uh chris whitley back in the day um 
Moondoggies, you know. Okay. You know, a lot of Seattle bands. My band okay. played there a couple of times too. So you you played the tractor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Humbucker was and my band then. What was the name? Humbucker. Humbucker. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. I'm so to... yeah. So how uh, would you another describe place Humbucker? I loved is the the rainbow. The rainbow with that's long gone. It was in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, but you district, you didn't say the blue moon. How come? Right, the blue moon. I like that too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Played there as well. Uh, I've been to the blue moon. Yeah, but yeah. I my so I'm I'm older than you by about a decade, mm-hmm. and the U district in the mid '80s was way different than the U district today. Mm-hmm. There were some great venues. And there's still are great venues, but there were some mm-hmm. great venues when I was in my twenties. Yeah. Um, Astor Park. I like to go to Parker's back in the day. Um, but honestly, I still, I just think the tractors. Does there's something about the tractor that I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I just. It is uh, great. It's just such a, like a like a big wooden room. Like yeah, you're almost like you're in a big ship or something. You know. Yeah, and it's not that it's special in the sense like nice but there's just yeah. something about that room that mm-hmm. just yeah the tractor tavern yeah that's yeah. Okay, cool yeah we talked about it we alluded to it we'll come back to it now yosemite yellowstone yeah yellowstone Yell- yeah well, yellowstone yeah okay yes i'm supposed to be I accurate even do that. I-, I even do that but yeah okay. so um the um when i turned in the Oregon Washington Roadside Ecology Manuscript, my publisher said, you know, would you like, they liked it a lot and thought I really, you know, captured the spirit of the assignment and and they were looking to expand on the theme of roadside ecology it, mm-hmm. by doing some national parks versions of them, um, which is, I think, an even better application of the concept than doing like a statewide version or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So they asked if I'm interested in doing one for Yellowstone National Park, sort of the same theme, um, where I drill down on all the ecological details of different short hikes. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been working on that pretty crazily for the last year, and it's due in about a week. So um, I'm finishing up right now. <laughs> But it involves similar um, kind of harried trip to Yellowstone last summer, where I mm-hmm. took a, a little less than two weeks and, and traveled all over Yellowstone and the Tetons and did all these short hikes and had an amazing experience. And now I'm, you know, just laboring over the writing of that. Okay. So that should be great. I mean, I think it's really a great application of the concept because, um, you know, probably, you know, many of us have visited or would like to visit Yellowstone. And, and mm-hmm. um, if you bring this book with you or read it before you go, you know, you'll, you'll be really enlightened as to what you're seeing and how it all works. Are you as the author going of, of this, the Oregon and Washington roadside ecology, do you do, are you going out? Are you going to bookstores? I mean, I, I will do a buy- few talks. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have one scheduled in, um, I believe in May, late May at third place books here okay. in, in Seattle or yeah. maybe the one up North. I'm not sure. Um, and, uh, I'm working on a few other potential things, but I'm going to do a, a slideshow, which will feature okay. a lot of the photographs from some of the photographs from the book. And then I'll talk about some of the things that we've talked about and, and other stuff. 
So that should uh, be fun. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Just, I can't believe I'm going to bring up Oregon. <sighs> what about Powell's? Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> um, I'll, I'll see what Timber Press lines up for me. Yeah. But I figure yeah. they're the, they're the experts at that. So I'm just do trying you like to do, do what I'm told. Do you like to do talks like that? Not, I haven't done a lot of it and I feel like it's a, a fun opportunity, but um, I also dread it a little bit. I, I, I don't, yeah, I wouldn't want it. I personally would terrify me. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. You know, personally, and it would, and, but I think, I'd like to be in the position to be terrified. How's that? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd like to, you know, put my, be put in that position. Well, the nice thing about doing it in Seattle, I did one for my waterfall book was that, you know, a lot of friends show up and as long as they don't, you know, hammer on with the heckling too bad, then, you know, well, it feels like see, a my friends friendly heckle audience. Me. I would, yeah. I don't want, I'd want to be anonymous. I wouldn't right. want my friends to exactly. show up. <laughs> right. Yep, they're definitely so queuing not, up the stupid questions, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Just and ones that you know they would know it stopped me too. Mm-hmm. So when you're not writing, what do you and the family like to do for fun in the greater Seattle era? Um, well, skiing, um, you know, which is winding down now. Um, yeah. But uh, I went cross-country skiing a few weeks ago with my wife. And... Uh, um, you know, eating. There's a lot of great food in Seattle. Um, well, got, got any recommendations? Well, let's see. I mean, I always like uh, Shanghai Garden down in the International District for some Chinese food. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. You need a burger in Fremont. It's a great place for burgers. Okay. You know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh I don't know. I'm not. You know, I'm not super gourmand, but no, no. Those are those are both yeah. excellent. Mm-hmm. Those, those are. I drink diner coffee. Come on now. I mean, it's not yeah. like I'm expecting you to say, you know, some, you know, mm-hmm. canless. I mean, nothing yeah. canless is great, but you know, yeah. not like, okay. All right. How about the kids? What do the kids like to do? What are the kids uh, Well, one of them is in college. She goes to okay. UC Berkeley. So okay. uh, she's a big rower. So she's on the crew team down there. Oh, nice. Okay. And uh, my younger one is in high school here in Seattle at Northwest School. So he uh, yeah. plays a lot of soccer and, um, you know, hangs out with his friends and does video games. So you're, you're typical teenage kid. Mm-hmm. You Let me ask you a question about your daughter, though, in rowing. Because, you know, I think of crew as a collegiate sport. Did Was she into it before? I mean, she had, I mean. She did. I mean, uh, I didn't realize this was so huge in Seattle for the first 15 years <laughs> I lived here, but, um, you know, crew is huge here. And, yes, um, she started in with, uh, like a learn to row program here at the Pocock rowing center in Seattle. And, okay. um, that was in seventh grade for her. And, um, oh, so wow. she did that for a couple of years and then, she took to it and continued doing it in high school. And then, uh, and then um, at that point, the colleges were, you know, like interested enough in her. So she, she, you know, got to do the recruiting process and um, okay. ended up at Berkeley. So, I mean, it all worked out well. Okay. 
That's but cool. yeah, it's crazy how what a big deal it is in Seattle, and I, and it was I was you know oblivious to it all until she started doing it. But I thought of it as more of an East Coast thing. I mean, I'm from the East Coast, and I knew, right? You know, the head of the Charles and and the preppy, you know, New England crew racing. But I didn't think it was part of the, you know, like I'm a kayaker. You know, I'm in Seattle now, okay. and you know, I like to see where I'm going. You know, not when this backwards <laughs> crew stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we can never ask all the questions in these in these episodes, you know, because just we've got to keep you know keep it between the navigational beacons to some degree, even though I struggle mm-hmm. with that. But mm-hmm. what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Um, I think you pretty much covered it all. Um, you know, I guess regarding the book, um, as I think I mentioned, I really view it as a, a, something to inspire people to get outside and to use the, the chapters kind of as examples of things you can do and to let them lead you to greater adventures beyond these short little roadside hikes, you know, and going, going deeper and exploring further. And, and I will, you know, I'll chime in and say it's, it's a beautifully done book. I mean, I, I told you that before we got started and I'm just like, your publisher sent me a copy and I was like, Oh, this is a pleasant surprise. And I opened it up and I'm like, this yeah. weighs more than I would. I mean, it's mm-hmm. full color, beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah. They let me go on and on and on. So, uh, I yeah, no, it's, with it. it's yeah. K- kudos to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you for taking some time to talk to us today. I, I'm sure our audience will learn something. I know I learned something, which is always good. Um, well, thank glad we you agree so about Brady. I'm glad yes, we agree right. about Tom Brady just to, mm-hmm. to put that out there. And yeah. uh, you probably like going, okay. Um, but thank you so much. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing if you're going to get be at third place books, I might just come and heckle you. Just Great. warn well, you about that. I will let you know. You're well right. qualified at this point because you yes, know more about me than you. most people. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> Great to talk with you and um, look forward to uh, hearing the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.